me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 this morning and we're going to be looking at the choosing of the twelve. As we uh, walk our way through the gospel according to Mark, uh, we're up to chapter 3, verse 13 through 19, and uh, looking at the choosing of the twelve, uh, and we'll see what lessons that has for us today. You say, well, that doesn't sound like much of a lesson for me. I'm not going to be one of the twelve. Well, there are some lessons, though, that we can learn, and I trust that we'll have open ears and open hearts to have what the Lord has to teach us through, again, a a passage that we may not think is relevant, but all Scripture is profitable. So this morning as we begin, this is really a special passage. The ministry of Jesus is in full swing. Uh, The common people of the area were following Jesus because he preached the Word of God in power and because he was working miracles for the glory of God. Again, we've already seen how the religious leaders hate Jesus because he's not playing according to their rules. He's uh, uh, exposing them for the hypocrites that they are. And uh, our Lord's day was filled with ministry and things happening at a hectic pace. Uh, These verses find Jesus taking some time uh, from that frantic schedule. He takes the time to commune with the Father and choose the 12 men uh, who will be representatives to the lost sheep of Israel in particular. And I uh, say this passage is special because it reminds us that anyone who will follow the Lord can be used of the Lord. You know, as we look at the kind of man that Jesus chose and, and used in those days, I think it gives us hope for us. If Jesus can use men like these men, in the manner that he did, then surely he can use you and me. And if you're saved, I want you to know that you have a place in the Lord's service. So we're going to look at these verses here in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, and see just what uh, they would teach us. Notice, first of all, the master. In verse 13, it says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth them unto him who he would, and they came unto him. Here in this first verse of our text this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has stepped aside from his public work uh, for a time of solitude. He's left the crowds that he might uh, be able to call his disciples. uh, As we look at the truths that are revealed here, we notice that this, first of all, was a time of special communion. Special communion. Uh, Mark just tells us here that Jesus goeth up into a mountain. Uh, Luke is a bit more specific. He tells us that he went up or went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6. Jesus is about to choose, ordain 12 men who will be his spokesmen, uh, his representatives to the people of Israel. This is a big decision. Uh, Jesus wants to be sure he knows the mind of the Father. Uh, So he seeks a a private place, and he spends the night in prayer seeking God's will. And this is a a lesson for us. 
Jesus, God the Son, God in the flesh, felt the need to commune with God the Father before he made big decisions. How many times do we really take uh, time to seek the Lord's face and his wisdom when we have decisions we're confronted with in life? Jesus took time out of his busy schedule to spend a very important time in prayer. He saw the great need of reaching up to the Father and for the help that he needed for that day. And the fact that Jesus made prayer a priority in his life highlights the need that you and I have to make prayer a priority in our lives. Uh, We're not God in the flesh. We're not the Savior. We're not the Redeemer of humanity. We're just a group of people that uh, have uh, should have been sent to hell. But God, in His great grace and mercy, has reached out to us and saved us from our sins. Uh, He's brought us into His family, and He gave unto us the privilege of prayer. You know, just a brief glimpse at prayer and the promises attached to it is enough to uh, show the importance in our lives. Uh, God has promised to hear our prayers. Uh, God has promised to answer our prayers. And God uses our prayers to accomplish His will in the world. Uh, We see that uh, in in James chapter 5 with uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And we see that in the the life of Elijah. Uh, And God knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. And since that's true, some people say, well, why do I need to pray? If God already knows what I need, why should I go to him in prayer? After all, God is only going to do what he pleases to do. And my prayers and, uh, uh, and might not even change anything. So why should I pray? You ever thought that the whole end of prayer might be the prayer itself? Have you ever considered the truth that God commands us to pray? Because he longs to have fellowship and communion. You know what prayer is? It's talking with God. Now we talked about in our Sunday school class how uh, that Moses had communion with God. He had the privilege of of talking to him face to face, it tells us there. Uh, We can't see God, but we do have God's word. And we can go to him in prayer. He's told us we need to pray. We can seek his face. We can commune with him. We We can have our words go to God and God can have his word come to us. That's communion. That's that's communication. You know, if you have two people that uh, are supposed to be communicating and one has all the words and the other one says nothing, what kind of communication is that? And you can be in your Bible, you can read and you can study, you can meditate in the Bible all, all day long. But that's only God, His word coming to you. You say, well, I don't have much to say to God. Well, you read God's Word and you say, wow, Lord, you're wonderful. I see how wonderful you are. I see your creation. I see what you're doing uh, in in my life. I can can see your promises. Thank you. Oh, I'm communicating to God, right? That's where we start, is adoring God and thanking Him and, and just... Uh, 
marveling over the, the blessings that he has given to us in his word. He desires for us to pray. Because at those times, we're spending time in his presence. Yeah, God's with us all the time. But when we stop and we pray, we're supposed to shut everything else out. We're supposed to kind of close the door to the rest of our lives and just talk to God. Just commune with God. He desires for us to talk to Him. To spend time with Him. Of course, the more time you spend with Him, the more you begin to think like Him. Isn't that true? You know, uh, some of us have been married for quite a few years now. And uh, we kind of think alike in many ways. We don't always agree, but we think alike. <laughs> and uh, uh, the more time you spend with someone, the more you begin to get to know them, and they get to know you. It's the same way with God. You spend time with Him, you'll get to know Him. And communion with God brings a closeness to God, and it's the primary desire, of should be the primary desire of your life. We're studying the book of Micah, in our Sunday evening services, but uh, this is skipping a little ahead of ourselves there. But Micah 6.8 says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let me encourage you this morning. Be a man, be a woman of prayer. Seek the Lord, seek Him often. And nothing will develop your Christian life more than spending time with God. Talk to Him. Let Him talk to you. The importance of prayer. Then as we go on and examine the Master here, and we find here that it was a time of special communion, it was also a time of sovereign choice. Sovereign choice. There have been great multitudes following Jesus as he moved from place to place and he ministered. And he chooses 12 men who among these many, many multitudes of disciples, and he'd already called them to follow him. We know that Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew, we've already kind of talked about them. But now he's really calling them to a special place of service. Matthew chapter 10 verse 2 tells us these men were set aside and were called apostles. Uh, If someone says they're an apostle today, don't believe it, okay? There are some guys out there that claim to be apostles. It It isn't true. This word, apostles, means one sent with orders. It's a representative of the king, one who speaks with the king's authority, one who must be, not be ignored. And some, uh, some men have taken that on themselves. But here, these are hand-picked men by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's going to send them out with a message. Now, you may wonder, why did he call these men and not some other men? Uh, Why were these men singled out with this great honor? Was it something they possessed that other men lacked? Uh, Were they especially spiritual and close to the Lord? Uh, Did you know, or did he know, that they would become great preachers someday? 
The Bible says, he called unto him whom he would. And there's nothing special about these men. And as you see in a minute, they're they're common men with common deficiencies, common problems. So why did he call them? Well, I say God can do what he wants to do, can't he? Uh, It's his sovereign choice that was based upon his will. And I could say it's a great privilege to be chosen by him. You notice when he called them, they came. Now that's how this thing works. First, he called them to come for salvation. His call would not go away and it could not be denied. When I came to the Lord by faith and asked him to save me, he did just that. I'm so thankful that he came into my life and changed it completely, made me a new creature. Now, I don't deserve that, but he's given me even more. Now, he may not have called you to preach like he called me to preach in the same sense, but he's called us all to be messengers and proclaimers of the gospel. I'm so thankful he called me to preach the word. Again, his call came and it would not go away. What an honor it is to be called to handle the word of God. It's a privilege to be one of his preachers. And again, you might not be a preacher, but he has called you to serve him as well. In fact, he calls every person he saves into his service. When he saved you, he has gifted you. He's given you a place in the family of God. Especially that gift is to be used as a faithful member of the body of Christ. A Bible-believing local church. And I encourage you to seek his face. Find out what your gift is and get busy for the Lord. Now Jesus could have chosen a thousand different ways to get his work done on this earth. You know, he could have used angels He could have done it all by himself. Of course, he's God. He could have created a special race of people. Wait. That's just what he did. He saved us out of our sins, and he has created us as a special race to do his will on earth. He chose you. He chose me. We need to be busy in serving the Lord. His call does not go away. That's the master. Notice, secondly, the mission. Verse 14 and 15. In verse 14 it says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now these two verses tell us the Lord expected these twelve men to, uh, to do something in particular. These two verses kind of establish a pattern of ministry that continues even to today. uh, And it also reveals a priority in ministry. Notice, first of all, it involved discipleship. It says that they should be with him. In verse 14. That phrase highlights every disciple's first priority. Being with Jesus. And the Lord called these men to follow him in a relationship that was a personal relationship, a personal fellowship. He wanted them to, uh, wanted them to learn his ways. And that requires a closeness. 
He wanted them to learn from him, and that requires a closeness. He wanted them. Uh, to, he wanted to train them on a pers- by personal example. And of co- most of all, he wanted them just to be with him because he loved them. He desired their fellowship. You know, being with Jesus should be the first priority that each one of us has. If we would be like him, we're going to have to spend time with him. You say, boy, you're sure talking about that this morning, preacher. Well, I don't know why, but I think we need to spend more time with the Lord. If we would serve him like he desires, then we're going to have to spend time with him. There's nothing more important in your life than spending time with the Lord Jesus. The time you spend with him in the closet of prayer is worth more than the gold of this world. The time spent feeding in the green pastures of his word is worth more than all the diamonds in this world. The time spent in his presence as you walk through your day is more valuable than all the wealth of the universe. Nothing compares to being with Jesus. We're to be close to him because that's what he wants us to be. You know, he's promised us that we can get close. We can get as close as we like. I would be, I'd like to be close as John the Beloved at the Last Supper. Uh, I'd like to be close to hear the heartbeat of the Savior, to feel his breath, uh, to hear his still small voice, and to uh, hear uh, him reveal divine secrets. You know, intimacy on the level, on that level, is available to us. Here's his promise. It says in Jeremiah 29, And verse 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You can be as close to the Lord as you desire. So stop holding back. Get close to Jesus. It involves discipleship. Secondly, it involves declaration. You know, Jesus called these men to go forth to preach, it tells us. The word preach means to act as a herald, to sound forth the message of the king. And here Jesus handpicks these men and calls them to take his message to the nation of Israel. What was the message they were to preach? The same message that Jesus himself had been preaching. It was the gospel of the kingdom. It was the good news that God had sent his son into the world to be their savior. Uh, And it was a message of hope and of peace and of blessing. Uh, The disciples were to take this message to people and call them to come to Jesus. What a great and high calling they received. Now we all know, and if we've already said this, not everyone is called to be a preacher or pastor in that sense. But in fact, some people who claim to be preachers have never been called to that position uh, by God. They call themselves. Or others called them. Uh, Some were called by mom or dad. Or grandpa, son, you're going to be a preacher, you know. Well, it's wonderful to have a preacher in your family. But that's not something you determine. That's something God determines. God's got to be calling the preachers. Now, while God only calls some to be preachers as such, he calls all of his children to be witnesses. When he saved you, he placed... His Spirit, His Holy Spirit within you. And when the Spirit came in, He gave you a testimony to share and a commission to share it. So while you may never stand in a pulpit, you may never preach a sermon, 
He still wants you to give the gospel everywhere you go. He wants his disciples to declare his message. Think about this. And let's just uh, turn back to Mark chapter 16 for a moment. You know, Mark 16 is the last chapter in the, the book. And if you're reading an ordinary storybook, you might think this is cheating. And we're going to the ending before we even get the rest of the book done, right? But I want you to see something and think about something and see what it says. In verse 15 of chapter 16, it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, did Jesus really mean that? Did he really mean every creature? Jesus commissioned the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, well, that doesn't mean me. I'm not one of Christ's disciples. We might even say it's impossible to preach the gospel to every creature. And I think sometimes we use that as an excuse. We use it as an excuse to shirk our responsibility. It's the duty of this generation to reach this generation for Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know, the world's not going to be reached if the gospel is not given to everyone. Turn for a moment to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We can get there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Colossians 1, 23, it says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Notice that he's saying that the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. In other words, he claimed to have accomplished the great commission. Now, is he exaggerating here? Or, or it, maybe he's just speaking evangelistically. You know, sometimes uh, people ask, how many people do you have in church on Sunday? I say between three and 4,000. Well, we did. We had between three and 4,000. Some number in between. Now that's kind of padding the numbers, so to speak, giving a wrong impression there, but uh, that's evangelistically speaking. You know, this is God's Word, and Paul's writing under the inspiration of God. Is he just coming up with some way out number? Paul said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's authoritative. It's accurate. Think about this. If Paul and the other apostles would have reached the entire world with the gospel using their own two feet and their handwritten letters, wow. Snail mail. What could we be doing with the technology that we have today? We can communicate and get around the world. Now, I never thought I'd get out of the state of Kansas 
Well, here I'm up in northern Wisconsin, and I've been a number of other places, but I just thought, you know, I'll, ne- I'll just live in this little state of Kansas all my life. But that's not the way it works these days. We go all over the place. We travel. And uh, it doesn't take much to do that. And bringing it down to our individual responsibility, what we are personally doing, what are we personally doing to accomplish the task of the Great Commission in our own little sphere of influence? You know, each one of us has a sphere of influence. We have people that are around us, some people that I would never, I never, I don't know who you know. I don't talk to the people that you talk to. You don't always talk to the people I talk to. We have our sphere of influence. What are we doing to get the Great Commission accomplished in what God has given us to do? So the mission of those that Christ called involved discipleship. It involved declaration. And thirdly, it involved demonstration. The preaching ministry of these men was to be a accompanied by miracles. They were given the power to heal the sick and to cast out devils. Now those are sign gifts. They were given this power to validate their ministry to the people they preached to. The people knew that Jesus was a healer. He had power over demonic spirits. And when the disciples came preaching and demonstrating the same power, the people knew their message was real and that they were truly the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our day, we do not have the same signs following uh, uh, our ministries any longer. Oh, some people on television and elsewhere claim to be healers and such, but don't believe them. If they heal, well, then they need to follow the New Testament model and heal whoever they meet that needs healing. Uh, We do not need the sign gifts to validate our message. Why? The sign gifts were designed to speak to the Jewish people to let them know that their Messiah had come. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so today our message is validated by the lives that Jesus changes by his grace. Did he save you? Did he change your life? That's a testimony. That's a sign to the people that are around you. Your life should be different from their lives or different from what it was before you got saved. Every time... The Lord saves a soul. He delivers a sinner from the grip of his or her sins. That's a validating message. Every time an alcoholic or a drug addict is set free, he validates God's message. Every time a marriage is put back together, he validates his message. Every time a redeemed saint of God can stand and give a testimony uh, for a life-changing, soul-saving power of the Lord Jesus, he's validating his message. And I'm saying that we are seeing greater miracles today than the disciples were ever able to perform. You see, every time these doors are open, every morning we get up, 
Every day that we live is in the power of the demonstration, uh, a powerful demonstration of the power and presence of God. It involves demonstration. My question is, is your life demonstrating the power of God? So we find the master, we find the mission, and then we find the men. Now, in verses 16 through 19, we have these verses telling us the names of the men Jesus chose to be the disciples. In reality, each one of these men probably deserves a separate sermon, okay? But uh, time does not allow for that right now, anyway. Uh, Today, we just need to be content with gleaning the barest of facts from them. Notice their names. I move through this list of names, and I'll tell you a little bit of what I know of these disciples. We find Simon here. Uh, Simon is a Hebrew name. It means rock or stone. Jesus changes the name to Peter. Uh, This is a Greek name. It also means rock or stone. And Peter was the leader of the group. Uh, He was a fisherman with his family. He was very outspoken, very opinionated. But he failed the Lord in a very public manner. But he humbled himself and he was restored. He was used of the Lord in a mighty way in the early church. If God can use Peter, he can use you and me. Uh, There's James. He also was a fisherman. He was a member of the Lord's inner circle. James, Peter, and John were kind of singled out in a special time of ministry on three occasions. Uh, When the daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead, when Jesus was transfigured, and when Jesus went a little farther into Gethsemane to pray. But James was a great leader in the early church. He served as its first pastor. He was the first of the apostles to be put to death for his faith in the Lord. Then there's John. He was the brother of James, also a member of this inner circle. and, And John was known as the beloved disciple. He had a mighty influence on the early church. He wrote five books of the New Testament. John was the only apostle that was not put to death for his faith, but he was persecuted. He was imprisoned. He was banished to a desert island. These uh, brothers' name uh, they was kind of a, a, a nickname here. It says uh, uh, that you have... John, the brother of James, and he surnamed Boanerges. And the name, uh, that means the sons of thunder. I think it fits because they had violent tempers. They even wanted to pray down fire on a village and uh, that refused to uh, receive the Lord Jesus. You say, boy, those guys need some uh, uh, anger management. But God used them, didn't he? God was able to use them. They were a little bit selfish. They had ambition because they asked Jesus for a special place of prominence in the kingdom. We'll see that in Mark chapter 10. But then there's Andrew. He was the brother of Peter. Uh, He had been a fisherman before he came to Christ. And every time he appears in the gospel record, you find him bringing someone to Jesus. He was a powerful witness for the Lord. Then there's Philip. And we don't know too much about Philip. But Jesus calls him in John chapter 1 verse 43. And immediately Philip goes and tells Nathaniel, or uh, better known as Bartholomew, 
about Jesus. And Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he seems to have been a man with some issues of, with prejudice. He was also a man of honesty and deep religious conviction. Uh, then there was Matthew, who we've already met in our study of, in this book. He was a Levi, or he was a Jew named Levi. I've been a tax collector. Uh, a very controversial choice for the Lord. Uh, why would you, why would you uh, select a tax collector? Because he's despised by so many people. But the Lord called him, saved him, changed his life. And Matthew would then write the gospel according to Matthew that bears his name. Thomas, this man was uh, condemned as a doubter. We don't know. Uh, we do know that he was loyal, even to the point of willing to die for him. He's the only disciple not cowering in fear in the upper room on the day Jesus rose from the dead. He was a doubter of the unseen, and he was willing to accept the truth, though, when it was revealed to him. James, the son of Alphaeus, really nothing known about this man. Uh, we do know that his mother was at the cross when James or Jesus was crucified. Thaddeus. Well, I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything about him because I didn't find anything about him. Simon the Canaanite. Uh, the word Canaanite translates as a word that means zealous. Simon was a revolutionary. He was a Jew sworn to overthrow the Roman government. Very uh, idealistic, very proud, radical type of guy. But Jesus saved him and used him. And then there's Judas. Judas Iscariot. The only disciple to come for Judea. He was the treasure of the group. He was a thief and a miser. He was never truly saved and, and would eventually betray Jesus into the hands of the Jews for 30 pieces of silver. Now some may wonder why Jesus would choose a man like Judas. And I'm not sure I can answer that question. And yet Judas played a very important role, didn't he? His sin, his hypocrisy of this betrayal was all a part of God's redemptive plan. But he does teach us a valuable lesson. He teaches us that it's possible to look saved, to act saved, and not be saved at all. It's possible to be deceived in your salvation. And that's why you need to heed the words of the Bible and make sure your calling. Now, that's just a quick look. I mean, that's the, uh, the Cliff Notes uh, look at those guys, if any of you know what that means. But some well are well known, others we don't know so well, but they came from all walks of life. And so, not only do I want you to know their names, but I want you to know something about their natures. I said at the outside, these men give us hope today. The fact that Jesus was able to use these men with all their weaknesses, all their failures, lets me know he can use me as well. These men lacked spiritual understanding. They lacked humility. They lacked faith, commitment. They lacked power. These were men who were always getting into trouble. They were missing the point on Christ's teachings. They were lashing out at people who were different. They were saying the wrong thing. Walking away from their commitment to Jesus. Among other failures and promise, uh, problems. 
Now, does any of that sound familiar? I said, not me. I'm perfect. Well, you're fooled. You're deceived. Because every one of us is sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have our weaknesses. And yet the Lord used these men to turn the world upside down for his glory. And if he can use them, he can surely use me and, and you as well. Jesus led them patiently along. He filled them with his spirit. He shocked the world in the way that he used these men. And I'm convinced he can do that and will use us as well. So Jesus took 12 ordinary men. He saved 11 of them by his grace and he made something special out of their lives. He wants to do the same in you and me. Now there's a difference between a true disciple and a man like Judas. Again, Judas may have looked like he was saved. He may have acted like he was saved, but he wasn't. And that certainly could be true even here today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to know that there is a place called hell. If you die without Jesus, you're going to go there. But it does not have to be that way. If you'll come to Jesus and confess your sins, uh, receive him into your heart, he will save you and prepare you for heaven. He will make you a disciple. And if you are saved, wouldn't you like to be used of the Lord in a greater way? I challenge you to bring your life to Jesus and place it in his hands and ask him to take you and make a disciple out of you for his glory. And if he can use the likes of these 12 men, he can surely use us. And so as we close this morning, I trust that we'll be thinking about how God can use our lives if we just give ourselves over to him. Let's pray.